CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. And we welcome you. Same show, new name. Canadian Football Countdown. I'm your host, Michael Dale, joined by my co-host, Ryan Coop. Hi, Ryan. We're back. On today's show... We have a myriad of topics ranging from, in no particular order, what about Karen? Yes, what about Karen? We'll find out. How about the state of CFO officiating? I have a feeling those two topics will be closely related to one another. Yes. Also, what's wrong in Hamilton? 0-3 to multiple, actually, Three times, multiple, double-digit defeats. But it doesn't appear like Ken Austin's job is in jeopardy. Who will the Bombers face on Friday in BC? Yeah, I know. Rhetorical question of playing the BC Lions. But the better part is Travis Lule, Jonathan Jennings. Also, Ryan Historic, Travis Lule. Take me back to 2011. All that and more coming up on today's show, starting with page one, Ryan, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and their two and one start through three games. I think most Bomber fans um would have said if you would have told me in the first three games that we'd be two and one, given the fact that we're in Regina by week, and then home to Toronto and Calgary. You would have taken this two and one record. Yeah, the Bombers right now are pretty much exactly where I thought they'd be at this point in the season. I think it's uh, it's come with their fair share of successes and their fair share of failures in different aspects. Um, but at the same time, it's been the Bombers. Yeah, they're right where I expected them to be at this point in the season, two and one. Uh, coming into the season, I didn't think they were going to beat Calgary, which they did not. Um, but Saskatchewan and Toronto, if you would have asked me coming into the year, those were kind of two given wins that the Bombers games they should win, and they did. So, While we're at it, flip to the inverse. A team that maybe isn't where they're supposed to be at 0-3-1 Ottawa and 0-3 Hamilton. How do you view those situations? The East is struggling again this year. It's time. It's the age-old story of the CFL. The West dominates the East division. I don't think we were quite foreseeing what we have so far. As far as the Ottawa Red Blacks, you look at the start of the season, two games against the Calgary Stampeders. Those are always going to be two tough games. Um, that rivalry has got to be one of the best in the CFL. You talk about the Battle of Alberta, the Battle of the Prairies, you know, Bombers and the Riders. This has to... like. Most of the rivalries in the CFL these days are forged because they're, you know, it's the team next to you, right? Like, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, we're Prairie rivals. Battle of Alberta, they're in the same province. 
But Ottawa and Calgary is about is almost as far separate as you can get, and that rivalry has been forged through insanely competitive games between these two teams over the last couple of years, including that wild Grey Cup game back in November. Which we have yet to discuss, so that might be a beneficial place to start, but lots of change. I would label this path off season. The winds of change in the CFL, most notably Ernest Jackson out in Ottawa, finds his way to Montreal, Durian Durant to Montreal. That's then you know you have a Bear Woods situation that kinda has resemblance of Henry Burris retiring from the CFL, Travis or Trevor Harris is now the starting quarterback there. They brought him in before last year. We always knew he was going to be the quarterback of the future for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, and now it's his team. And, well, his team's not getting off to a great start so far. I would not fault Trevor Harris too much on that, though. He's done pretty much all he can do. Uh, their defense has given up a lot of points, and I think that's an area that needs some improvement for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Talris 2-1-1 one one now? Yes, yeah. Would one could make the argument that they're lucky to win those two games. I mean, you know, those Ottawa games could have been the other way around. And, you know, a split at the very least, although they had a tie in there too. The Winnipeg game for the longest time was competitive if you take a 10-9 bomber lead at halftime at face value. Is there problems in Calgary, or do you kind of foresee the same kind of thing with, you know, the three and O Eskimos? Good teams find a way to eat out victories, and that's kind of where Alberta's sitting. Yeah, I think Calgary, um, I certainly didn't expect them to be 2-1-1 one one at this point in the season. First of all, you never expect a tie, but mm-hmm. in today's CFL, you probably should. Just ask the Bombers in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, with two in a row, uh, but at the same time, I, what is it about Montreal when it comes to the Calgary Stampeders? They they lost this week, major upset by the Alouettes in Montreal. The Stampeders have not won there since 2013. Last time they won there, Kevin Glenn was the starting quarterback in that game for the Calgary Stampeders. Bo Levi Mitchell has this insane record in the CFL. This was his first loss in the regular season since week one last year. What is it about the what is it about the, the city of Montreal? Why why can't the Stampeders going into that game, the way the Alouettes have played this year, their offense struggling to put twenty points on the board in the game, like what what gives? For me Montreal's defense wanted it more and I watched the game last night that I I was away this weekend. Montreal can go a long way if you give their defense its due. Defense wins championships. I know, you know, we're waiting for Darian Durant to come around and that kind of thing. But sitting in Montreal's shoes right now at two and two, are they not the favorites in the East? I would argue right now it's Toronto. Wait, Ricky Ray's been playing so far this season. Granted, but who do you like more, Montreal or or uh, Toronto defensively? I like Toronto. I think it's actually a pretty close battle between those teams. 
Um, but Toronto really, you know, they've got Victor Butler on that mm-hmm. defensive line. And I tell you, at the end of the season, that guy's going to be a nominee for most outstanding defensive player of the year. And I think we saw the two nominees from the East and the West going head to head this week and Victor Butler and TJ Heath, uh, former Argo, now a member of the Bombers, mm-hmm. thinks that Drew Willie trade last year, which everyone in Winnipeg, I don't mm-hmm. think anyone's complaining about that one. Mm-hmm. Toronto may wish they could redo that one, but mm-hmm. um, that defensive line in Toronto has just been tremendous so far this season. Through the first three games of the year, seven sacks for Victor Butler. That's that's an insane pace. They brought in Bear Woods. You know, they've they've revamped that defense, and I think well, it's paying off. Should have taken eight minutes to mention Mark Trussman and Jim Pop in Toronto. Yeah, and I think that's a great combo. It's it's a combo they had back in Montreal together, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's something, you know, I've always been under the impression when it came to Jim Pop, and he got a lot of flack as a head coach in Montreal last year uh, when the team was struggling. I've always been under the impression that he is an excellent general manager, when that's all he's that re- eye for talent. When when that's all he's required to do, I think giving him the job of doing everything is too much on Jim Pop. <laughs> and when you can have him as just the general manager, he does a great job. And Mark Tressman, I mean, they couldn't have brought in a better option as their head coach coming into this season. That guy knows how to win. I mean, take me back to a couple weeks before camp here, Ryan, and we're looking at the fact that. Almost making fun of it. Well, the Ardo don't have a coach. Well, the Ardo don't have a GM. Out of out of the sky, seemingly, come these two guys, and they might have the best GM head coach combo in the CFL. It's certainly up for debate. You know, coming into this season, if you remember, right at the end of last year, it was, and I believe trickled into the off season a little as well. Look at Toronto's receiving core over the last couple of years. You had the guys like Gurley and Hazleton and Kevin Elliott. All of a sudden, all of them are gone, right? Like mm-hmm. right at the end of the season, all of them are released randomly in the last couple of weeks. This is a change for Toronto coming into the off season. They didn't really have any receivers. Um, they had a couple up-and-coming guys, right? But they lost Deontay Spencer as well off to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And then with the whole quarterback uh, situation in Toronto uh, – Drew Willie was released a couple weeks ago, but until like until the start of the season, they decided they were going to run with Ricky Ray and uh, Drew Willie, and I think that was something that a lot of us were kind of like, eh, I don't know how that's going to go because Ricky Ray lately doesn't have the greatest injury history, and we've seen what Drew Willie has done on the field over the last couple of years. So I think there were a lot of concerns for the Argos coming into this year. Uh, they didn't have their first round pick this year because they were supposed to have first overall, but gave it to the Bombers in that trade last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and not having, I mean, they didn't have a general manager like through the beginning of free agency this year, did they? Well, here's another thing. I mean, I, I think you have to look at Mark Trussman's evolution of using older quarterbacks to get the job done. See exhibit A, Anthony Calvillo. Yeah, um, looking at the CFL stats right now, number one quarterback in the CFL, most passing yards in the league, Ricky Ray. Number one receiver in the CFL, most receiving yards, S.J. Green, two guys from Toronto okay. leading the way. Let's talk right there. S.J. Green literally gift-wrapped 
in a trade to the Toronto Argonauts. I think it was a concern with that. There was a concern after he had that major injury last year, right? Like he was out for all season last year. I know, but it's like you threw him with a curb and Toronto says, okay, we'll take them. You know, the, the, the pieces that they gave up, Ryan, are nuts to nothing compared to what could be unearthed or shall I say what has been in SJ Green. The Jim Pop, Mark Trustman, they know what they're getting from SJ Green. What they gave Montreal to get SJ Green, we won't know what that is for a couple years. Great trade for the Toronto Argonauts, and they're really off to a strong start to the season. Only um, problem, they can't fill a stadium. Yeah, and that continues to be a problem for the Argos. Um, and it's kind of a disservice because there are a lot of great Argo fans across the nation in Toronto. There are. They just don't get the recognition because you look at the stadium and the stadium's half empty all of the time. But this is a good football team this year. Yes, they're 2-2. Two and two. They lost the Bombers this week. I believe they lost the Lions previously, correct? Um, but week one, I mean, Ricky Ray sets a career high for passing yards in the game. How many seasons has he played in the CFL? How old is this guy now? Like, and he's setting his career record right now? Are you kidding me? Like, I mean, Ryan, do you remember the discussion beginning in the last year? How they said this is turning into a young quarterback's lead? Well, Ritty Ray and Travis Lule sure have something to say about that. And Henry Burris in the Grey Cup last year, I would argue, as well. But all this is overseen by a new commissioner in the CFL, Randy Ambrosi, who, in my opinion, gets a A-plus as far as higher. Whether he can actually do the job remains to be seen. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that, because first of all, uh, former Commissioner Jeffrey Orridge stepping down after last season, and now Randy Ambrosi comes in. Let's face it. Jeffrey Orge, it was one of those situations where the board said, you step down or we push you out the door. So what what is it about Orge do you think that led to either that decision? I think it was... Like your your assessment over, of his time as commissioner of the league, and what are you looking for with our new commissioner coming in? This is the problem for me. Jeffrey Orge... No disrespect to the guy. I don't know the guy. And let me make that crystal clear right now. But when I have a CFL commissioner at the Great Cup State of the League address that doesn't seem to know what direction he wants to take the lead in, his thoughts seem kind of scrambled together, he doesn't want to put the link between CTE and concussions. The NFL already has. For me, it was a matter of Jeffrey Orich coming from the TV world. He was with CBC for the time there. Had a bit of a background in, in the lead, but I think once you're truly in those shoes, you have no idea what it's like to be in those shoes, and Randy Ambrosi, he has been on the business side, he's been on the football side, he's been in the trenches. I am very curious, Ryan, just to see what happens the next time the CBA 
thumbs up. Where does he sit? Does he say, you know what, I'm a former player. These players are being poorly compensated for the pain that they, you know, go through the day after a game, concussion, whatever. There's not enough. There's not enough benefits for, you know, players that retire. Or is he going to sit with the owners or is it somewhere in between? And I think, to be fair, coming back to Jeffrey Orridge, I think something he did really well in his time as commissioner is promoting the league. And like you said, he had that background in TV, uh, you know, bringing that CFL week in March. They had the inaugural year of that this year. I thought that was a great thing. Well, we didn't get to go personally. Right. Uh, heard a lot of stories about everyone involved, players, coaches, fans, other podcasters, you know, really enjoying that week and getting to interact with the players. I think that's a great thing that he brought in. I think uh, he tried a little more on the social media side to kind of get things going with the CFL. The new logo. The new logo as Website, a, which... I, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the, the mark he left on the CFL, is really trying to make an emphasis on that. Now it remains to be seen. We have this new commissioner. What kind of mark he's going to put on the league, right? And where, right. what aspect that will be. I, I think for me... Um, very high on the commissioner's list, whether you like it or not, is a 10th team. I mean, I can't see the CFL going for nine teams too, too much longer. Just at the Ottawa Red Blots this week. Three games in 11 days in three different cities. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Somebody does do it every year. Why? Mark my words, the CFL will put another team in Ontario. As much as what people say, it'll be out east. It'll be a place like Windsor, Ontario, or Kitchener-Waterloo that will get a CFL team. Why Ontario, and why not out east? Where you have that kind of untouched market out east, and you have teams in Ontario. You have the Argos, like we mentioned, who are struggling to put people in the seats. Why somewhere else in Ontario? Why not go out east further? Again, it's the, those pros and cons to both. But you know what? I just think he sees that Windsor. Like, let's just let's just take Windsor for a minute. Forget about Audi's. I mean, I think it's a great Audi's market. But if you look at the number of people that live in the border in the border towns, you know, Windsor, Detroit, you know, though that area, you could kind of a trap from the northern United States. I I don't know. It's just like for me, for me, I think it's more about just getting a tent team in there right now to kind of balance the top. I can't see that tent team, quite honestly, coming out west as much as people say Kelowna or Fort McMurray or, or somewhere like that. Just because of the geographical imbalance, not people to say the bombers to go back east, but uh, just talking to people. We'll take it. We'll take it, Cody. I, I understand, <laughs> but, you know, just talking to people inside the bombers and been close to a few people, there was no appetite for the bombers to, to go east, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. If the CFL does get a 10th team, I, my, my number one guess would be that it goes out into the Atlantic region, you know, somewhere out east where they have that untouched market so far. Um, through the first couple weeks of the season, our new commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, he's, he's had a couple decisions. He's already had to get mm -hmm. his feet wet a couple weeks into the season. 
first one I would say um Will Hill. Will Hill, exactly. Yeah. Goes and was it grabbed a referee? I didn't quite see it, I believe. He basically grabbed a referee by the collar, pulled him back. Um basically out of frustration. Uh many people debating how long's the suspension gonna be. Uh is some people calling for it to be a full season, which I wouldn't agree with that, but um Ultimately, held they, held lot of light with the one game. Ultimately, they decide on a one game suspension. I believe a maximum fine as well thrown yeah. in there. Yeah, um, agree here, or disagree? Here's the thing. It, I will t- say this before I give you my agree to disagree. Football is an 18 game season. You suspend the guy for four games. That's basically one quarter of his season. Yeah. The people that are suggesting four to six games. That's equivalent of 20 games, 25 games in hockey. One game, a little bit on the light end, but what he's what he's taking into account, and I, I don't know what Randy Ambrose's thought process is. If he calls it a two or three game suspension, let's say he comes in that one to three range, he was going to say, you know what, I'm going to appeal that. It's going to be knocked down to one anyway. Here he sets out a game. There's no appeal because it's a one-game suspension. He either says, you know what, it's a one-game suspension, or he drops the suspension. He basically stopped and prevented a major headache, in my opinion. If it is a two- to three-game suspension, there, I don't think there's any doubt, Ryan, that there would have been an appeal. And I think he would have been right back to where we are at one game. And then we talk about the second decision. I think this is the one everyone's been talking about all week week long, Mike. Mm-hmm. Hashtag what about Karen? Um Karen called this nearly a million dollar winner thanks to a Safeway touchdown to win. Friday Friday night, Bombers Argos. Thursday. Thursday, right, correct. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um Martise Jackson of the Toronto Argonauts returns. First of all, Ryan Lankford opening kickoff for the Bombers returns one for a touchdown, which was beautiful. Yeah. Um, same player returns two kickoffs for a touchdown in a game. One lucky person wins a million dollars, and that actually be- not same person, but two returns in a game. No, no, it has to be the same player. No, it doesn't. Because there were two returns. Jackson had one. Jackson had the penalty, which was no. One. Jackson had one, and then another one with the penalty on it. You sure about that? Hundred percent sure. I don't think I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look it up. I will look it up right now. I know Lineford was the first one. No, 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 no. Jackson had the punt return. The punt return doesn't count. Right, and the punt return doesn't. Does it not, oh, it doesn't. Is a punt return? Because remember, he tipped it. The ball bounced to the left, away from the coverage. He picked it up and ran it back. That was the tip. The punt return in the first with David Toronto, the 10-7 lead. Okay, so I'm misunderstanding that. My apologies on that. Um, Either way, we've got one kickoff return for a touchdown, and you need two in order to win, correct? Yeah. Martise Jackson running down the sideline, running 20 yards from the end zone. Argos take a penalty. He runs into the end zone. He's got the touchdown. Poor Karen Coldis thinks she has a million dollars. And then the flag comes. Touchdown waved off, no million dollars for Karen, and this is where things go crazy. Twitter explodes. Hashtag what about Karen is 
trending across Canada. Yeah. People are starting, like, petitions because this penalty was one largely debatable. This gets into something that I wanted to talk about, uh, Ryan. You know what I wanted to talk about, but this is Exhibit A with regards to where the command center has to step in. Whether it's having another man in the command center looking at the play. You can't tell me, Ryan, but he can't say to that referee, you know what, you blew the call, buddy, picked up the flag, let it stand. That would solve a whole heck of a lot of problems, wouldn't it? Do you fault the ref for throwing the flag at game speed? Absolutely not. Initially, it looked like at game speed to the referee, it looked like there was a holding call. Slow it down. Bomber dive falls down. No hold. This is the part to me, Ryan, that is really, really, really annoying. And it goes along the lines of the pass interference where it's basically on the other side of the formation when the play goes one way, they're looking at interference the other way. Same deal with this. Why can't the CFL take the power from the referees, have it at the command center, and the command center says, Hey, ref, you blew this one. Pick up the flag. Get it right. Command center should have the authority to say, you know what? We looked at it at full speed. Pick up the flag. Isn't that what the command center is supposed to be doing right now? Isn't that what the whole eye in the sky? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? I, I don't know it, and it doesn't sound like it. Like, if you have a guy in the command center, between the guy in the field and the guy in the command center, if people watching on TSN can get the call right, most of the time, don't you believe that the guy in the command center sees the same replays, can come to the same conclusion? Technology, future technology is the answer here. You know, technology wearable like technology eyewear in the future. Referees will be able to stream the TSN broadcast in one eye while watching the game in the other. And but <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, how the guy, and I'm not saying just with this what about Karen situation. The command center should look at getting the play right, saving the referee an absolute nightmare to let's face it what did that referee have to deal with the that day going back to work why did he throw the flag you took away a million dollars he's guaranteed saying what I saw with my naked eye at full speed was that I being chop blocked did you fault the referee in there that's a good point and I think that's something a lot of people don't necessarily look at right in terms of at full in terms speed. of a lot of refing decisions i think i think you make an excellent point about that at full speed when it's right in front of you and you're trying to watch a million different things on the field right keep in mind you're running down the field with the play when when you when you're watching from the stands or you're watching on tv you know where the ball is that's where you're focusing your eyesight right. on right and i think that's exactly the point you're trying to make here 
is that as a referee, you got to watch everywhere on the field. And to do that all in a split second while running down the field, I mean, you got to be in shape in order to do that. I'd be running down the right. field huffing and puffing and, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, there we go, you know? So I, I, I think that puts a great perspective on like, how hard it is to be a referee. Like, do you fault the referee in other situations for, you know, pass interference? What is the five-yard cushion? Right, and I cite it looks like five yards. When they do a video replay, it might be five and a half or six yards. Therefore, it's a penalty. I'll tell you what I do fault the referees on. Forgetting what down it is, <laughs> Mike. Like, yeah, that one. Oh boy, you can't tell me that the referee in the field didn't know what down it was, or that I in the command center who you think after the review would say, "Hey, referee, what is so and so?" Remember that it's so-and-so down. I, 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 I might be really dumb, but, but one would think that that would be common sense, no? Maybe command center guy went to go get a snack. <laughs> guy on the field standing there. He's not in charge of keeping track of what down it is. And in his ear, he's waiting, hello? What down is it? Meanwhile, this guy's making popcorn. <laughs> Well, here's the problem. There's six or seven referees on the field. Right. One of them sure as heck has to know what down it is. Most certainly, yes. Right? Or? I I would sure hope so. If the players know what down it is. The players knew what down it was. How do the refs not know? And I, I don't want this to sound like this is the crapping on the ref segment. But. No, and I think we've had a good balance of that. I think you raised some good points of, you know, they do have a tough job. But at, at the same time, I think, you know, as everyone does. Would you want to be an official in pro sports? No. no. In, in 2017? No. Or arguably fan engagement in is, is as high as it's ever been? Put it this way. What's the highest praise you can get? As a referee in pro sports, oh, the refing wasn't that bad this game, right? Like, that's the best praise you're going to get. But you blow a call, you're going to hear about it for the rest of your life. Can you imagine being an umpire? And there's been situations, sorry to tie this to baseball. There was a guy who had a perfect game taken away from him with two out on an egregiously blown call with two out in the ninth that I was out by a mile, but he called him safe. How do you do this where you're able to just kind of forget about it, go on and ref your next game? That, to me, is a thing that's intriguing. Yeah, that's it's one of those things. Um, I wouldn't... Just to sum it up, I would never do. I would never take that job. I, I it, it's a lose lose situation. Um, cycling back to the whole what about Karen thing, and uh, talking more, and cycling more so back about the commissioner of the CFL. Do you agree with how this was handled with Karen Coldis? Um, she obviously didn't get her million dollars out of this, um, but the Bombers stepped up, the CFL stepped up, Safeway, Sobies, Air Miles. Uh, bomber season tickets for the rest of this year and next, a free trip to the Grey Cup, a VIP trip to the Grey Cup this year, courtesy of the CFL, 
uh, free groceries for a year from Safeway and Sobeys, and I believe it was like 500,000 or 50,000 air miles on top of that. 500,000. Certainly, if you add up the value of all of this, it comes nowhere near close to the million dollars she could have and should have had. Keep in mind, though, it's $20,000 for 20 years. $50,000 for 20 years. Okay. Yeah, 50, sorry, 50,000, but that's 20 years. Taxable. Fair enough. It's not like she got the million all in one shot. And, and I, 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 yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that. Do you, what do you make of how the Bombers and the CFL stepped up and said, okay, look, we can't give you the million dollars out of this, but we're going to compensate you with this? Because to me, I think the what they did for her was good because there are legalities behind it. You know, there's mm-hmm. there, there's legalities behind a contest. Officially on the field, he did not score a touchdown. So officially, they cannot reward her the million dollars. As much as every one of us mm-hmm. wants her to get her million dollars out yep. of this. Yeah, yeah. Legally, she can't. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think the compensation, I mean, that's still a pretty good compensation. That's stuff she didn't have previously. Uh, the she she can go saying, out and get all the groceries she wants now. More than fifty thousand in the next twenty for the, this year, right? Right, but the articles are saying, "Well, where's our touchdown?" But you so desperately took away. And this is exactly like, like where does it end? And this is exactly the point I wanted to make with this is because by compensating her with these prizes, the CFL backhandedly is admitting that they messed up, right? Because. There's two options. You can stay firm and say the right call was made on the field, officially not a touchdown. Sorry, we can't do anything. If you know that you screwed up, which, to your point, they're basically doing everything but saying that. Why don't you just come out and say it? That yeah, that that part of it I believe could have been handled better. Moving on. Are you ready to move on? Yes. Uh. Half an hour into the show, we haven't really talked too much about the Bombers themselves. I think we've talked more about Karen than we've <laughs> talked about the Bombers, the hometown Bombers yeah. here in Winnipeg. Um, we mentioned it right off the top, 2-1 and one to start the year, right where we expected them to be. As far as how they've played this year, what are your thoughts? Um, I had concerns after Game 1 with the defense, Game 2 with the defense. You know, I was looking back at that Calgary game today. You know, 10-9 at the half. You know, people are going to call me a homer regardless, you know. It doesn't matter whether you're a Ryder fan, whether you're a Bomber fan, whether you're a Stampeder fan. The Bomber defense was exposed in that football game. They were on the field for a long time. Middle of the third quarter, I saw hands on knees, hands on hips. You extend your defense to the point where you keep them on the field against Calgary where, you know, they got that receiver in Kamal Jordan who basically is Superman this year along with another guy from BC that we're going to talk about. Your defense is going to get stretched out and pinned out to the point where they just get flat out exhausted. Then you get what you had in the second half against Calgary. I, I, I've noticed a pattern through three games so far this year, and that each game, it's a different part of the field that is failing, you know? Mm-hmm. First game of the season, 
the defense. Yes, the Bombers won, but they it took till overtime to beat the Saskatchewan and Rough Riders. Field right? goal. And a missed field goal. Offense played great. Weston Dressler, I still don't think they've seen him in Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still sitting probably in the end zone and they don't notice. Yeah. <laughs> Careful, there's some Ryder fans listening. <laughs> like, the offense played great that game. They were on a roll. Matt Nichols threw four touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's career high for him, Over I believe. Over two more. Right. Um... But the defense that game, I mean, as great as Matt Nichols played, Kevin Glenn threw four touchdown passes against the Bombers in over 400 yards. Okay, let's stop there for just two seconds. The Riders are 1-2. and two. Could easily be 3-0. and oh. Kevin Glenn? We talked about veterans in the CFL, the lights of the Lule. You know, we mentioned those guys earlier. Why isn't Kevin Glenn in this discussion? I think Kevin, I am a big Kevin Glenn supporter. Mm-hmm. I always have Me been. Too. I think he, he's good, had the reputation of the CFL's best insurance policy for years because mm-hmm. he was the backup on a lot of teams. I mean, he's been with, he's been a member of every team in the CFL except the Eskimos, which if you ask Kevin Glenn, he will one day yeah. be a member of the yeah. Eskimos, even if it's for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's stepped into that starter role for the Riders this year. And in the off season, we kind of talked about, um, okay, they're letting go of Darian Durant. Now what? And then they bring in Kevin Glenn and they bring in Vince Young, which we all know that didn't yeah. amount to anything. Well, that was kind of an experiment that everybody kind of knew. Okay, one run injury, you know, the two-game preseason, odds of making the team not great. And, yeah, that was – uh so was, that was the major concern for the Riders is, okay, there are there are wide receivers outstanding. Okay, one thing just real quick. If I'm Saskatchewan, I am loading up a wheelbarrow of money in a hurry to Nick Dempsey. He's a free agent at the end of the year playing for a contract that's been arguably the Riders' best receiver. He is an Andre Dury type. You can't tell me that Tyre Walters isn't saying, Loto kid, gonna be a free agent, go out and have a good year. You know, when then we go after Nick Dempsey. Nick, Nick, come on home. <laughs> you know, you've, you've made investors group feel with the Bisons. Basically, you're set in home. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great point. Couple actually Winnipeg born guys having great uh success. Coombs, Coombs had about ninety yards against the Bombers this week and Oh he made that one catch with the up in the air. Would have said but that anyway. was catch of the year, and then you know, two days later, Brian Burnham came along. But going back, I guess to finish off the topic of the yeah. riders who were on a bye this past week. Yeah. Um coming into the season, I mean, they loaded up at wide receiver. They really did. They had Naaman Roosevelt, they brought in Bakari Grant, they brought in Deron Carter. Nick Dembski's improving. Ottawa did the same thing two years ago. Yeah. And uh, Saskatchewan, really, the concern was, okay, you've got all these guys. Now who's going to throw them the ball? Because mm-hmm. you can only catch the ball as much as it's properly thrown, right? Uh, they fit that offensive line. Derek Dennis from Calgary. Healthy Brendan Labatt. I still think that they're a house of cards waiting to collapse. If there's one major injury, I, you could make the argument that, you know, that could be any CFL team, but I don't think it, it, you know, I don't think it's more true than it is in Saskatchewan. 
And I think Kevin Glenn's done a great job so far this year. He's actually, uh, and you know, they had the bye this week, uh, so they've only played three games. Some teams have played. So they don't Calgary this week. I believe so. Yeah, they were Calgary on Saturday, I think. Um, but uh, if you look at these stats, right behind Ricky Ray in terms of yards per game, it's Kevin Glenn, and he's had he's been known in his career for throwing timely interceptions. But the only problem is, and this is, would be my only concern with the Riders. You see how the entire West is kind of starting to pull away, you know, two and one, three and one, three Cost, and, costly games, costly mistakes, three and all. Oh, like they're arguably would you write two field goals away from being three and oh. two missed field goals. Right, away. and then the Bombers are one and two, and we're having this conversation about the last place Bombers. Exactly. So the Riders get a lot of flack. Because they're in the CFL's hot spot, you know, right mm-hmm. in the center of the country. Apparently, they're the Canada's team, according to people. Mm-hmm. I won't mention names. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're not that bad of a football team mm-hmm. as they're made out to be. And I think part of it is because of all of the antics we've seen from Chris Jones over the, his time as the Riders GM and, right and coach. Before, I mean, you just find over $100,000 and... You know, a very short period of time. It's, I don't know. I, I've and then t- the lights go out in the stadium and what, their season opener there or the one second, out, game, second game there? Spend so much money paying fines, you can't pay for the lights in the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. I don't like the kid who put those, uh, who had the, those fireworks, knocked out the power in halftime there last year at the old stadium. Uh, so the story was. Um, but the, uh, the, the, they're two field goals away from being a three and O team. I don't think there needs to be. There shouldn't be any panic in Saskatchewan right now. The Riders are the fine example, Ryan, of the fine line of win loss that the entire CFL has become. I mean, look at Ottawa. They're three bad plays away. Three bad plays is why they're all three and one. One or two bad plays in every game is possible. How, how do you figure? How do you figure three bad plays for the Ottawa Red Blacks, especially this week against Edmonton? Well, they had Calgary. You know, they made a convert against Edmonton. You know, remember they missed a convert. Uh, who was it? Maher missed a convert early in that football game. Right, and then talk about that lateral mishap as well, right? Which ended. You know, up if he makes the convert, that's a one-point game. They're not going for two at the end of the football game. Going back to the Bombers, because we kind of transitioned yeah. to the Riders there. Like I said, every single game this year has been a different story. First game, the defense need, didn't play as good as we expected them to. Second game, okay, the offense is on a roll. The defense needs to step up. And we just flip. Like, total reversal. Second game, offense can't get anything going. Matt Nichols has, what, four interceptions in the first quarter or first half or something like that. Um, But the defense really stepped up against Calgary. And that, in the first half, that defense did outstanding. And like you said... It's a problem. It couldn't get the offense and the defense was on the field for 10 out of every 15 minutes. And and eventually, if you're going to leave Bo Levi Mitchell on the field the entire game... He's yeah. going to get stuff done and tear you apart. And that's what happened in the second half. Look at Exhibit A this past week. Montreal. 
short drives, lots of pressure, kept Bo Levi off the field, kept their quarterback upright for the most part, got a few big plays, they win a football game. And then in the third game, I mean, the special teams, clearly, that kick coverage, that punt coverage, Martise Jackson just ran all over the Bombers. It's the first time under the Michael Shea era, Ryan, where I really had a problem with the special teams. Hmm. I mean, when can you blame the special teams for the Olympic Blue Bombers, especially in the last two years? They arguably have the most accurate kicker in Canada. No, I'd argue they have the... Don't they have, like, the most accurate kicker in CFL history? I'm pretty sure Justin Medlock actually is at this point has the highest kicking percentage in CFL history. I mean, he made a 56-er field goal against Toronto. He's 10 for 10 so far on the year. Try it from 61. (laughs) (laughs) Against BC. They're in BC this week. It's perfect timing. Try it from 61. Again, I I, I hate to diverge, but it's different kicking in a dome where where there's no wind, no elements, straight on. I'm going to cut us off on the Bombers there because we've got about 15 minutes left. That's fine. And I really want to talk BC Lions and Hamilton Tiger Cats, both those teams. So pick which one do you want to start with? BC. BC Lions, so far, coming into this year, everyone expected their offense to be the best in the league because Mm -hmm. they're Jonathan Jennings expected to be MOP this year. I think a lot of people expected that really explosive year from him. Uh, Wide receivers, they brought in... Uh, they brought in Chris Williams. He hasn't played yet because he's on injured reserve. Um, Nick Moore missed most of last season. He was back this year. Burnham and Arsenault. Chris Williams, who... Yeah, I just mentioned oh, Chris yeah. Williams as well. So uh, everyone is ex- expecting so much from the Lions coming into this year. And in the first two games, uh, I, I don't... Or in the first couple games, I don't think we saw from Jennings quite as much as we expected to see from him, you know? I think a lot of it is pressure... Uh, and then coming into this game, obviously, yesterday against, or two days ago against Hamilton, Jennings goes down early, and Travis Lule comes in. And Travis Lule does something extraordinary. He sets the CFL record for most passing yards in a game coming off the bench, and I have the exact total here. I'll grab it for you, Mike, uh, if I can find it here. 436 yards, 29 of 36, three touchdowns, two interceptions. If I recall, I memories blank right now but those two interceptions for Lule I believe they were very early on to when he first came in one for sure within the first quarter and then the other one yeah but and then Nick Moore 10 catches 220 yards and a touchdown <laughs> like here's the is question. this like turning back the clock with the BC Lions is Wally Buono's hair gonna gain some color back in it <laughs> you know <laughs> On the flip side, I do think this injury for Jonathan Jennings is for the better of the BC Lions. And I think come October, November, they'll be looking back and saying whatever time Jonathan Jennings missed was for the betterment. But did I think we saw another deer in that BC offense? So are you that, saying... Like, that Jennings hasn't quite been able to get to. Well, I, I don't think there's any argument when he comes back from injury. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm Jennings not, is back to the starting quarterback. Yeah, no I, argument. I'm not suggesting Lule and the man based on one 
relief appearance against a defense that hasn't been very good. Right. And Travis Lue came in and he did this extraordinary thing. And given that he played against the Ticats defense, which we're going to touch on right away, mm -hmm. but, I mean, that's just incredible. And it really shows because, yes, Jennings is down. He might, he's probably going to miss this week. He might miss a couple weeks due to yeah, the Yeah, I heard he didn't miss this week and maybe the next week, but they had an MRI, no stressful damage week to week. This is something we talk about all the time. Quarterback Insurance depth policies. in the CFL. You don't need a good number. You need a good number one quarterback. Second most position, important position on the field, the backup quarterback, because yeah. your starter goes down, you're doomed. Unless you have someone that can step in. I have no concerns for the BC Lions with Jonathan Jennings out with injury now because of what Travis Lule has shown he can do. I think he'll do just fine. Um, which brought me actually this it's, week it's to It's interesting kind of, because the Bomber line, the Bombers were eight point underdogs. Since the whole Jennings injury, the line has dropped to four. Um, wow. I, I, I think Lule will do a heck of a job in the time he is the starter. Um, and it kind of got me thinking this week, you know, when you do QB rankings in the CFL or in football in general, you talk about the player itself. You don't necessarily talk about the teams and kind of taking into account starting and backup quarterbacks, which team really is the best at the quarterback position in terms of if my starter's going to play, how am I going to do? But what happens if he gets injured, you know? And I kind of did these rankings in my head with mm -hmm. that. And number one at the top, I think, is the Edmonton Eskimos mm -hmm. because you can get into an argument, Bo Levi Mitchell or Mike Riley, it's a very hard argument who is the best quarterback in the CFL. And I don't actually know who I would pick between those two. Um, I have a question for you after the rankings. Remind me to come back. Sure. So I, I've got the Edmonton Eskimos because Riley goes down. James Franklin has shown that he, he's capable yeah. of getting stuff done. Number two, I mean, the BC Lions showed it this week. Jonathan Jennings is a top quarterback in the CFL. Lule was and still has that. Um, I'm just going to flip to that actually here because I wrote those down because I thought I'd forget them. Uh, number three, Calgary. I mean, Bo Levi Mitchell, best starting quarterback in the CFL, and this guy doesn't get injured. So um, I have them up there, and I think Buckley's actually shown some great things this year that he could still step in given those other pieces they have on the team and lead this team. Uh, number four, I actually have the Hamilton Tiger Cats because Zach Caleros, I think, is Who's one of the backup Mazzoli. Uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli's okay. the backup there. Uh, when Caleros missed a lot of time last year, he helped keep them afloat. Uh, I've got the Bombers and then the Argos because Matt Nichols and Ricky Ray, I think, great. Um, but the backup oh. quarterback, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, but the backup quarterbacks, Dom Davis, unproven to me, um, Lefevre, uh, you know, they're, they're not kind of that high quality backups like a Lule or a James yeah. Franklin. Um, same thing with Jeff Matthews, the backup in Toronto. And then uh, the Ottawa... They have that Cody Fajardo, too, I think. Right, Cody Fajardo. Um, and then the Ottawa Red Blacks, you got Trevor Harris, um, Drew Tate, and Ryan Lindley. Yeah. Um, decent backups. Uh, really, the bottom of this list was just difficult to come up with. And then I, I, at the bottom, Montreal Alouettes and Saskatchewan Rough Riders, kind of... Is Montreal at the bottom of Drew Willie as a backup? Um, I forgot about Drew Willie as the backup in Montreal. That... That might actually put Muncher. No, I, I actually. So I actually had Saskatchewan at the bottom here, and that's because um, the Montreal. Brandon Bridge is the backup. Brandon, Br Brandon Bridge is the backup, right? And we haven't seen anything from him besides preseason play. We've seen Drew Willie and uh, Vernon Adams, both of those guys, 
um, have their moments. I mean, Willie's that. actually the third string behind Vernon Adams. Yeah, so we've seen those play at, them play actual games before. Um, Kevin Glenn, I mean, he's shown right so far this year. He's a great quarterback mm-hmm. in the CFL, but uh, just the backup situation there. Now, Ottawa, you put Ottawa solo down. Is that a result of not having seen Drew Tate play for a while? That as well. Uh, that is definitely part of it. Um, yeah, I actually didn't know how to slot those teams, kind of the Bombers, the Argos, and the Red Blacks. It was kind of all a mix right there in the middle. Really, it's just the top three, in my opinion, and then, like, everyone below that, right? Yeah. We're, I want to talk about the Hamilton Tiger Cats yet. I uh, three minutes. Three minutes to talk about the Tiger Cats. Uh, plug your ears, Tiger Cats fans, because oh. this, this isn't pretty. Um, I mean, that defense... The defense has always been a strong part of this Ticats team. They have a new defensive coordinator this year. Orlando Steinauer is out. He ended up going to, I forget where he went. Did he go to a college football team, Mike? Who? Steinauer? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the exact team. Uh, Jeff Reinbold, formerly special uh, special teams coordinator, takes over as defensive coordinator. Why Why is this Hamilton defense so bad this year, Mike? Lule and Ricky Ray set career high for passing yards in a game against this team. They haven't even Kevin, reached the Riley, Kevin Levi Glenn, Mitchell. Kevin Glenn almost threw for 400, had a t- total of four touchdowns. You're giving up an average of almost 40 points a game, mm-hmm. and your next three games are Mike Riley, Bo Levi Mitchell, and Mike Riley. Like, when does does this get better at all this year for the Ticats, or are we looking at this all year long? Well, then you lead me to another question. Which of the winless teams is likely to turn it around? I mean, you look at it. The Lions finished 2011. They were 1-4, 1-5. and Wound up winning the Drake The Lions Cup. were 0-6 to start the season. Okay, 0-6. So, so sold them a little bit short. But, it's hard because I see so much talent on Hamilton. And I don't want to pin this on Jeff Reinbold, who used to be a very, 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 very good special teams coach. I, I think to me it's a matter of Reinbold getting himself figured out. To me, I think there's more positives in Hamilton than in Ottawa. If I had to pick a team to turn it around. You might disagree with that, but... Please don't, no. Are you going to say Hamilton? I did say Hamilton, because I I think the body of work for Ken Austin, the last three years in the Canadian Football League, doesn't warrant a coaching change. I know that's probably your next question. Well, I was just going to say, because we are running out of time, I was going to kind of sum up what you were saying there, um, and... Uh, I had I had much better thoughts earlier today. In uh, I'm I, I completely disagree with you on that. The Ottawa Red Blacks they don't have a win yet this season, yeah. but I mean their first two games were against the Calgary Stampeders, which over the last name however many years you want have been the most dominant team in the CFL yeah. throughout the regular season. Uh, they took them to a tie and they took them to a close game. I don't fault the Red Blacks that much on that one. Uh, I see there being a bit of panic in Ottawa, and I think it's completely unwarranted. Uh, you lost two games. So you, lost, there more you, you tied the Red Blacks. You lost, or you tied to the Stampeders. You mm. lost to the Stampeders. You lost to the three and O Eskimos. You know, like it's not that bad in Ottawa. Well, it's getting really bad. The fact that they play, you know, Wednesday and then Monday, where 
You would think they'd have to win one of those two games. And then I look at Hamilton. Coming into this year, I mean, let's be real. If uh, most of us, you and me included, who did we have as the bottom two teams in the CFL? The Saskatchewan, teams that are on top right The Saskatchewan now. Rough Riders and the Toronto Argonauts were right. two of the teams we said were going to be a disaster this year. Right. Look what they did to the Ticats. Like Ricky Ray, five touchdown, five, over 500 yards, four touchdown passes in game one. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, and that offense for the large part of the season has struggled quite a bit as well. They got going a little in this game, but I mean, the Ticats to me right now are a mess. And I, I don't know when it's going to improve. And I say this because whenever I give a guarantee like this, it doesn't happen. And I want things That's to improve. I don't want to say anything. And I want things to improve for I the Ticats. Because I want Ryan to dig himself a little hole. So that but the, I don't know so when the, the next... Ticats come back with a 31-point win, and we sit here a week later. Hey, it makes for interesting content when that happens, right? So right. Uh, I'm not going to go out. Remember a couple of years ago, I think this was the first year we did this show, I said the Montreal Alouettes weren't going to win a game that season. Something like that. <laughs> something like that. And then they end up going on a great win streak at the end of the season. But So I'm not going to say that. Okay. But when's the next time the Ticats are going to win a game? Who they got this week? This week they've got uh, Mike Riley and the Edmonton Eskimos. And then Bo Levi Mitchell and the Stampeders. And then Mike Riley and the Eskimos again. So, I mean... Hamilton wins one, one of these next three games. I just don't see it. Did you see Calgary losing to Montreal? No. So why, but, why can't Hamilton pull the shot? But, to be fair, there is that precedent in Montreal of the Stampeders struggling there. Ah, which I didn't know about till after the game. Me either. Anything else you want to talk about quickly yet, Mike? Uh, something that's been on my bath burner. The Fairweather fans of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Saskatchewan, I'm pretty sure you can relate. One loss is not the end of the world. People were ready to throw the bombers under the bus after the loss against Calgary. Not to mention the attendance drop between the two games. Only 25,000 at the game Thursday night. And a bunch of those were free tickets. I heard it was about 50 or so that ended up getting free tickets out of it. Out of the parking fiasco. That's it pretty much for our show here today, Mike. Season debut. We had scheduling issues for the first four weeks, so we apologize. Here come the text messages. I'm going to read them to you. We are losing it here. All this negative talk about the Riders. Another one. Hey, Mike, Riders I will said finish it wasn't gonna... ahead of the Bombers. Be nice to the Riders. Hey, to be fair, I did say it wasn't <laughs> as bad as people were making out to be. Okay. Okay. That's my defense. We we might have just lost some friends over this last half an hour. Yeah, that's a typical day for me. (laughs) 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 That pretty much sums it up. That's all for today's show. Um, On behalf of Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop. This was the Canadian Football Countdown, and have a wonderful day. Bye.